I thought about doing a Father's Day message, but uh, we're to the place in 1 Corinthians where it talks about women being submissive. I thought, well, I'd rather do that. <laughs> That's my Father's Day message to you. So, <clears throat> And I'm not going to joke about it because it's serious, and, uh, and there's a balance. There's a balance. Uh, men, are, men are to be kind and loving and considerate and uh, preferring others above ourselves and and that's a harder task than submission, I think. So, but um, this, when when Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, he's speaking to them about life issues, um, and so he's already dealt with some. And what we've seen so far is that the people who who came out of paganism, and some of them were Jewish in their background, they come together in the church in Corinth and. It's all new to them, and they are conditioned by their past, as, as were we. Um, and so uh, now Paul had taught them the fundamentals of the faith, and he's going to reference that in chapter 11. But their behavior is not good, and there's some selfishness going on. There were divisions, if you remember. Some of the people uh, were saying, well, I want to do it this way. I'm going to follow Paul. I'm going to follow Peter. I'm going to follow... Uh, Apollos, I'm I'm following Jesus, and we're the more spiritual ones, but we're just going to follow Jesus, which means that they don't want to follow the leadership of their church, which means they're just saying, well, I'm following following Jesus. And uh, when you you visit with people, when you're a pastor and you visit with people over the years, you find that a lot. People are just saying, no, I don't need church, I'm just following the Lord. And I, I, I have my own church in my own home with my own family. And you should do that, but the Bible also teaches you should assemble together with God's uh, people and be a part of a local assembly. And so, uh, but sometimes people spiritualize that and just say, well, I'm just following the Lord. And so that's what's happened in Corinth, and because of that, it's it's, it's selfishness, and it's being uh, manifest in their relationships, and it's causing trouble in the church. And so Paul's been addressing that. And so when we get to um, chapter, oh, what, 8, 9, and 10, he talks about our liberty that we, I, I'm a free man in Christ. You're a free person in Christ. If you know Christ, you, you're going to go to heaven. Uh, he has set you free from the law. And you're, uh, even though we're still sinners and we're going to commit some uh, bad deeds and maybe have bad attitudes, we're still going to go to heaven. So that, what's the, that's what that means, that we have liberty in Christ. But in those chapters, he taught us that you are to restrict your liberty for the good of the whole. You're to restrict your liberty for a weaker Christian's conscience, that you, you're to be considerate enough that you will limit your liberty for their conscience and not offend them. Because you're, if you offend them by your liberty, and they don't know that they don't know that you can do those things and get by with it because of their background, and I don't mean get by with it because you don't get by with things, but but if they don't understand that the liberty in Christ, and so they see you doing things that they thought the pagans do and they used to do, then like eating meat in the in a pagan temple, and we applied that to different things in our society, and so if they if they see that you offend them. Paul said, you sinned against Christ. So he's speaking to us and he's saying that our behavior is, is, 
is challenged by Christ. Uh, we're to put Him first, we're to put His work first, we're to put His glory first in our relationship to each other in the church. And so he continues that theme of liberty, but when we come to chapter 11, it's liberty under authority. We're all under authority, and we're under the authority of Christ most of all. And so this is what he's going to make plain, is that you have liberty, but you're under Christ's authority. And he deals specifically, evidently, there were some ladies in the church who were creating some problems. <clears throat> and so he deals with that. Now later he's going to deal, uh, you, you know Paul, Paul, Paul deals with the marriage relationship in Ephesians, and, and so it's a balance, and so I'm just going to teach you what the Bible what I believe the Bible teaches us, and we will uh, just look at it now this morning. The first thing he says in chapter 11, uh, he has an appreciation of their general behavior, of their general knowledge of uh, theology and, and, and their doctrines. He said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That could be referring to what's gone before that we just read, probably it is. Uh, when he says, if meat makes my brother to offend, I will I'll never eat meat again. And so he says, imitate me as I follow Christ. And then in verse 2, he said, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. The traditions would be not how you do church, but it would be in this context, it would be the doctrinal things that I taught you. So he's saying, your doctrine is right. You, you believe Jesus is the, is the Son of God, he's virgin born, he is a deity, he died on the cross, salvation is through grace alone. So he's saying, you've got those things. And then in verse 3, he says, but, but, here's your, here's your behavior problem, another one of your behavior problems. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Now, it seems like this doesn't fit what he's saying. But he's speaking about your liberty under authority. And that's how I've labeled it. And now listen to what he says. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Okay, I, I, want, you to, I want you to think about that. I, I wish I had a blackboard and I would put it on the blackboard. Here's God. Okay, and under God is Christ. The head of Christ is God. And then the head of a man is Christ, and the head of a woman is a man. So here's the fourth step, okay? And so it's woman, man, and this is in the marriage relationship and in the church, not anywhere else. This doesn't apply to any other, not in business, not in social life, not in anything else, but in the, in the church and in the marriage, uh, if you're married. So there is the woman and her head is the man, and his head is Christ, and, and Christ's head is God. Okay, now let me, let me challenge you with a little bit of logic. Is Christ inferior to God? Of course he isn't. He is God. He said, if, you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he said to the disciples. And then he said, but it, I always do my Father's will. And so he's always subject to it. So he subject himself to his Father's will, but he's not inferior to God. He is God. He's God manifest in the flesh, but in his humanity, 
And in his sonship, he's been the eternal son. That's a doctrinal truth. He, 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 he didn't come into existence as Christ, the Son of God, when he became, through the virgin birth, a, a, a man on earth. He's always been the Son of God. That's eternal. That's one of the differences that we believe as Christians in some of the uh, some other religions. But he's always been the eternal Son of God. And, and you say, and then there's the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit is also subject to the Father. And you say, well, but he is God himself. He, he, is, he is God God himself. You say, I don't understand that. Well, we never will. We're not, we're not God's infinite. We're not. Our understanding is not infinite. So we'll never fully understand it. I believe it. The Bible teaches it. I see the functionality of that. But, but the point I want to make, Christ is not inferior to God in one sense. And in fact, I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 2, and I want you to see the uh, theology of that. Philippians chapter 2, and you're familiar with this passage. In verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And what that, what that, means, I'm reading from the New King James, what that means is he didn't grasp after being equal with God in heaven. He was willing, as we read here, to humble himself, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Okay, so what Philippians is telling us, Paul's telling us there, is that he is in the form of God. He is God, but he humbled himself and became obedient. So he's submissive to God. God is Christ's head. Okay, so even this Christ is not inferior to God, neither is the woman inferior to the man. But this is a role. God gives us a role. And he gives men roles too. We're all under authority. We're all under authority in the church. In fact, we live under authority in our world. Uh, I'm under authority to uh, the people who employ me. I'm under authority to the people who live in my neighborhood to be a good neighbor. I'm under authority to our pastor in this church. And uh, sometimes people come to me and say, you know, why are we doing this? And I'm saying, I've been retired 10 years. We're not doing anything. (laughs) You're talking to the wrong person. I don't challenge our pastor about what he's doing. Uh, I, I just obey, and, uh, and you should too, until, unless there's a moral problem or unless there's a theological problem, and then, we're gonna, then I'm going to challenge him. But uh, so, so that's not in the notes. I just thought I'd throw that in there. So, lady, you're not, so you're not inferior at all. This doctrine, this theology is called complementarianism. It means that we complement. In my marriage relationship, we complement. Uh, we're, we're partners. But ultimately, I have the responsibility of Donna. And ultimately, uh, I'm accountable for her well-being, and I'm accountable for her happiness I'm account- as much as I can be. I'm, account- I'm accountable for her. And in the church, uh, ladies, you're accountable to men's leadership. because That's the way God structured it. Now, some churches don't practice that, but women can, and the Bible teaches, women can pray and teach in the church. 
uh, under the leadership of, of, of men who are the leaders. But you know the truth is, I'm teaching you today under the authority of our pastor. Uh, I'm under authority too, so everyone's under authority. So don't, I don't want you to feel bad. I, I want you to realize you have a God-given place, and uh, it's just a role. God gives us a, a, a role, and so we are all under submission. If you're still in Philippians, I don't think I put this, I don't think I gave you this, David. But anyway, the next verse there says that because, I'm going to paraphrase, because Jesus humbled himself and was obedient under the point of death, God exalted him above every name in heaven and earth. God exalted him for his obedience. And, uh, and his name's above every name. And God will you. He will exalt you for your submission to authority. Uh, you remember, the Bible teaches our children to honor your parents. And we're, and we're to do the same thing. We're to honor the authority in our life. And when we do, even though, even though they may bis- the authority may be wrong and misbehave or whatever, but when we honor them for their position, for, for instance, let's talk about the, the presidency. We may or may not like the president, but he has a position of honor, and we're to pray for him. And even, you know, whether we like him or not, whether we agree with his policy or not, he is our president, we're to pray for him, we're to pray for the good of the country, and it's to our honor, when we, it's to his honor and our glory when we do that. I want to give you a statement by a man named David Gusick, and I take it off of the, I study his notes on the Blue Letter Bible app, and I put that in the notes so you can reference if you if you want to yourself. But here's his statement. I'm going to just read it to you. The issues of headship and submission should be seen in the broader context, and not just as a struggle between men and women, but as a struggle with the issue of authority in general. Since the 1960s, and most of us lived through the 1960s, and we, uh, we realized the uh, rebellion that was going on then against authority on college campuses, and maybe you were a part of that, and, uh, or, but in our, in our country in general... So he just said since the 1960s, there's been a massive change in the, in the way we see and accept authority. And there has been a massive change in our country and in the idea of authority. He said it's fair to describe our present moral state as one of anarchy. There is no moral authority in our culture. When it comes to morality, the only thing that matters is what one wants to do. And isn't that the truth? But then he says this, we must see the broader attack on authority as a direct satanic strategy to, to destroy our society and millions of individual lives. The devil is accomplishing this with two main attacks. First is the corruption of authority, and second is the rejection of authority. Our culture, having rejected the idea of the difference in roles, men and women's roles, between uh, the idea of roles between men and women, now reject the idea of any difference between men and women. And now we have the gender uh, revolution. The driving trends in our culture point toward men who are more like women, women who are more like men in styles, clothes, perfumes, and all the rest are pushing this thought. My wife and I went into Chick-fil-A to have a milkshake the other night, like we needed one, but... The young man who waited on us had false eyelashes and mascara. Oh, 
And I shouldn't laugh because it's sad. It's just sad as it can be. Uh, because he's, he's ruining his life. He's, he's, de- he's destroyed. He's on a path that leads to destruction. And, uh, but <clears throat> it didn't mess up the milkshake. It was still good. Okay, so if you're with me, <clears throat> back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to read what he says about the, the, the issue. So now he gives the explanation, verse 4. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now her head would be her husband or the leaders of the church. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Now, in their culture, uh, a shaved head would be someone who was taken in adultery, uh, and they would, as punishment, cut their hair or shave their head. And Or uh, some of the prostitutes in their temples, and remember, they're in an area where there are temples that, that prostitutes ply their trade, and it's very common and a lot of them would be have shorn heads. And so he's saying, when he speaks about your head and covered, I'm trying to understand this, and so I, I'm just going to give you my thoughts, okay? Just my thoughts. Uh, when, when you look at uh, Judaism, and uh, the high priest had a head covering, and when you look at some of the pagan religions today that are mocking Judaism, even when you look at Catholicism, they wear a head covering, okay? And so, and, and, but what they're doing is they're, they're taking upon themselves um, the role of deity on earth. You know, like the, 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 the Pope is the Christ representative on earth, and, and they have special powers and, and speak ex cathedra, which means they're speaking the word of God when they speak. And, and so... When we read this, and I'm, and that's happened in pagan temples as well. And when I'm reading this, that when a man prays or prophesies, and he has this head covering, he's not being submissive to the authority of God, but he's taking some of that authority upon himself. That's how I understand this to, to be. But he says, when a woman, then on the other side, is that when she uncovers her head, she dishonors her head. And in this culture, if you read Edersheim or some of the people who wrote during, about the culture, uh, a, a lot of the prophets and prophecies, they would be like a wild person and their hair would be disordered. And, and, and that may be the idea, or it may be the idea that a woman's hair is her glory and they use it for uh, attraction. And they use it for attraction to their person and instead of being attracted to the Lord, so in their culture they had this they had this culture of a headscarf, not not a burqa like we see in the Muslim countries, but it's like a, a just a headscarf, a, a covering, and for modesty. Now that's not our culture today, but it's their culture then. So that Paul just making his argument, and he's saying if you're going to do that, and you're going to be taking place in the church, and you're exalting yourself. And without the authority of men, you might as well go all the way and shave your hair and be known as a, as a bad woman. And then he said this in verse 7, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. 
And then, he, and then he gives a little history. But man is not from woman, but woman from man. Uh, Adam was created in the image of God, but yet before that we read that God said, let us make man in our image, male and female, he made them. So a woman's made in the image of God as well. But she came out of man. If you remember in Genesis, she came out of man. God made man of the dust, uh, made Adam the dust, but then he made Eve from a rib taken from the man. Nor was man created for woman, the woman for the man. For this reason, verse 10, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Because of the angels. <laughs> now, I'm going to give you some what I think that may, what that may be. Uh, and again, it's more, it's kind of my opinion. So, but I want to finish reading verse 11. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of a woman, nor woman independent of man and the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through women, but all things are from the Lord. So here's complementarism. I didn't get here without my mother. Okay, my mother is the reason I'm here, okay, is that she bore me and birthed me and raised me, and so I'm here. So are you. Okay, so so are you. None of us were virgin born. None, none of us appeared, you know, so... We, we're dependent upon our mothers, and uh, so uh, that's just very simple understanding. They are indispensable in our world, and so are men. Men are indispensable. So men and women are indispensable. I listened to a man called Al, Al Moeller, the president of the Southern, Baptist, Southern Seminary, Louisville, Kentucky. Some of you listen to him. Well, he has a briefing uh, every morning, and it really deals with some interesting subjects, but uh, sometime in the last week or so, he talked about Japan's birth rate. And in Japan, he said <clears throat> that their birth rate, uh, I don't know if you know this, but you have to have, in, in, in every nation, there has to be 2.3 children born to every family to sustain the population level without immigration, to sustain the population level. And in, and in, in Japan, that's way, way, way down. It's down in the United States, uh, by the way, but it's way down in Japan. And so, he said they sell more adult diapers than they do children's diapers. So it means their population is aging very great, and they're going, so one of these days they're not, going to have a, they're not going to have a society. Their society is going to age and die. And ours is doing the same thing in a general degree without immigration. So <clears throat> it's interesting. You, if you have male and female and they're doing what God said, that you be fruitful and populate the earth. We're supposed to be supposed to be doing that, and so it's really interesting that that's that's not happening like God ordained. But anyway, I'm off way off base here. So, all right. Then he said in in verse thirteen, "Judge among yourselves is not proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered." Uh, and he's saying, "If it isn't, does not even nature itself teach you that if man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him?" But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. And then he said, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. And I think that verse, that last verse means this is not up for debate. This is not for debate in the churches of God. This is revelation of God, not up for debate. Okay, now I want to go back to verse 10. And he talked about a woman having her head covered. And verse 10 says, For this reason the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now what does that mean? 
because of the angel. Just seems to be thrown in there. What's the angels have to do with what we're doing in church? So he's speaking about what's happening in local assemblies, what's happening in church. So what's the angels have to do with that? I want to read to you John Stott, who is a, a commentator. Uh, he's commenting on Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to go there in just a minute. He explains the broader idea. He said, it is as if a great drama is being enacted. History is the theater, the world is the stage, and the church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written the play, and he directs and produces it, act by act, scene by scene, and the story continues to unfold. But who are the audience? We're the players, who are the audience? They are the cosmic intelligences, the principalities and powers, and the heavenly places. Wow. And you think, I don't want to just be an actor on the stage. I don't want to, why not more important than that? So we may feel like, okay, if that's true, then I'm diminished. And I want to say to you, no, no, you're not diminished, you're expanded. I mean, that's to your glory. And okay, now I want you to go with me to Ephesians 3, and I think this will be on the board. No, I didn't give you this. All right, so Ephesians chapter 3, and if you don't have your Bible in your hand, then just listen as I read. In Ephesians chapter 3, this is what John Stott was talking about. All right, verse, uh, I wanted to say in verse 8 to get, for you to get the whole context. Paul is saying, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship, and that word is administration, to make all see what is the administration of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. All right, so what is the mystery that's been hidden through the ages? And we know it's grace. It's salvation by grace. Okay, and then verse 10. Just keep, keep reading. It's the same sentence. So this mystery, which the beginning of the ages had been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God is showing grace in our salvation for to accomplish his eternal purpose to show um, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. You know, there are other created beings. They're, they're the different types of angels, they're created beings that we probably know nothing about. Now, I'm not talking about humans, and I'm not talking about other planets being inhabited. I'm talking about that. We're the humans. Mother Eve is the mother of all living. And so we're, we're the human race here, I believe. And then <clears throat> what he's talking about is these created beings, some of them became rebellious, some of them believed in, in God. So when he's saying here, that this mystery of salvation by grace is a portrait to prove the mystery to all the principalities and powers. Okay, I want you to hold your place, hold your place there. 
And let me give you what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, verse 12. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 makes reference to the fact that angels desire to look into the things of the gospel. So 1 Peter 1, 12 speaks about that the, the prophets prophesied and they prophesied of things to come. They prophesied of the gospel to come, the grace of God given through Christ. And the angels desired to look into that. Okay, so today when we're doing church, uh, the angels are looking into it, I believe. I believe the angels are looking into it. When, when, when we read this, what is this mystery in Ephesians chapter 3? Now, you're having to think hard. I want you to think hard. Okay, go back to chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2. And we're going to read about the same thing. Verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We are saved by grace to the glory of God eternally as a testimony to the powers and the principalities and powers in heavenly places. You think, well, who are they? What are they? What is that about? I don't know. God knows. God knows He has a plan, and He is exalting us for His glory. So we are actors on the stage. God chose you to salvation He redeems you by the blood of Christ. He has purpose for your life beyond just today. Your purpose extends into eternity. You are going to be eternally to the glory of God as a testimony to every created thing. And uh, what what that exalts us, by the way. Do you know that? It it exalts us. Uh, And so, (laughs) when... When he, said, when he says, and just throws in there, the angels, you, you, you be under authority for the sake of the angels who are watching. You ever think about when we go in the service this morning, the angels are watching. They're watching our demeanor. They're watching our behavior. They're watching our attitude. They're saying, you know, that person really doesn't believe what they're singing. Okay, and they're saying, well, that person believes it and it's ministering to their heart. I want to understand grace. See, they, don't under, they weren't saved by grace. They were created in obedience, and some of them fail. Some of them rebel and fail. But the others is that they don't understand the mystery of grace. They're, and they're looking into it. They're watching us. They're looking into it. And you are the explanation of God's grace. You are the explanation of God's grace. Isn't that amazing? We have a couple who's, who's, who's right down, down the hall in our special class. And they're teaching our, our special class. Our special class is some mentally handicapped, some physically handicapped. And they've been teaching that class for close to 50 years. <clears throat> and they lost their son this past week. And they're here this morning teaching their class. And that is a testimony to God's grace. 
but not just them, it's you. You're a testimony of God's grace. When, when you, when we come together collectively, we're a testimony to God's grace. We're different. We're different personality types. We have different goals in life. We have different aspirations in life. We, we have different political views. We have different, we're just different. We're men and women, and we're different. But together we're the church. Together we're the body of Christ. We put aside our differences and we submit to the authority of God. And it's to His glory when we do that. It exalts Him and it blesses us. You're, you're, you're never... I want you to think about rearing your children. You know, and, uh, you know when rearing your children and when, when your children are submissive to your authority, you love them and you bless them. And, and you're, you're so pleased with them and you want them to be blessed and exalted and you give them liberty and you, you, you do for them. And it's our same relationship we have with our Savior. When I'm obedient, when I'm submissive to His authority and I'm submissive to you and, and I prefer you above myself and, and it honors God and He blesses me, I'm the one who gets the blessing for it. If we could grasp that, we'd be better Christians. We'd behave better. We wouldn't be selfish, as selfish. We'd still be a little selfish, but as selfish. <laughs> okay, now back to the text. And quickly for time's sake, um, now Paul deals with the Lord's table. Now this is another issue they had, and it's still related. You think, well, it's not related, but it's still related. And, and here he says, uh, verse 17, Now I'm giving these instructions that I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be fractions among you that those who are approved may be uh, uh, recognized among you. And that, what, what he's saying there is that your divisions are going to sort themselves out into who is honorable before God. That's my interpretation of those three verses. And then verse 20, therefore, when you come together, one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Okay, what, what we gather from what they were doing is that <clears throat> they didn't have a place of worship like we do. They, they didn't have uh, a, a set time of worship. They probably came together as a church in the evenings after work, and they brought their supper together. They brought their supper. And just as the Lord, with his disciples, went into the upper room and celebrated Passover, and in that meal, at the end of that meal, Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. The Passover is not the Lord's Supper. Passover was, a, was a, a type of the Lord's Supper. So now he instituted the Lord's Supper. What they were doing, evidently from what we read, they were coming together, bringing their meals, and, and eating it and calling it the Lord's Supper. But what we read is that some of the wealthy people who had more came and just ate theirs, and they weren't sharing, and they didn't wait for the other people to get there off their work. Some of them were probably slaves and dentured slaves, and they could come when they had the liberty to come. But they didn't wait till the whole assembly came together and celebrate together. 
they just came and, and then in their meeting place, ate their supper and ignored those who didn't have. And, and Paul is saying, I cannot praise you for that. I, I, shame on you. Shame on you for that selfish behavior is basically what he's saying to them. And he's saying, if your appetite is such, you can't wait for the assembly to come together and celebrate together as one body, then eat at home and then come together and do the Lord's Supper. And so that really doesn't apply to us today because that's not how we do the Lord's Supper. So now he tells them about the Lord's Supper. But, but you see the selfishness they were exhibiting? and the, So they're just, they, they haven't learned to love one another. That's what Paul's dealing with them about. And now he gives them the order of the Lord's Supper. Verse 23, you're familiar with. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, he's saying, here's the order that you're to practice the Lord's Supper. Not you're eating your, 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 your evening meal. It's not that. But it's this designation of the bread and the cup as the Lord's body and blood broken for you, and you do, you're doing it separate as a remembrance of Him. And that's what we do. And uh, there are churches who do it differently. We, uh, <clears throat> there are churches who insist that you have to be on the membership roll as a saved, baptized, joined the church believer before you can partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, I... I I, I, I was taught that. I don't, I don't necessarily believe it. When I was in charge, I would say to people when we did the Lord's Supper, let your conscience be your God. You know why? Because he goes on after that, and he gives a warning, and this is what he says. For as often as you drink this bread and this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. That's verse 26. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but let a man... And woman, examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Okay, what body is he talking about? Well, I think there are two applications. He's talking about the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. And if you're not discerning of the body of Christ... And then there is the body of Christ, the church, your brethren that you're assembled with, if you're not discerning concerning them, or he's speaking, and I believe both, he's speaking about if you're doing it unworthily, you're not discerning Christ's physical body that was broken and his blood that was shed for you. You're not discerning that. So what does unworthy mean? The truth is none of us are worthy in one sense. We're not worthy. Uh, I, I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, but I still sin. I, I'm still selfish. Uh, I still envy. I still have pride. I still have uh, these, these feelings of the flesh. You know, I, I dishonor the Lord in my attitude, my spirit, my behavior, my talk. Sometimes so do you. And so are we worthy? No, that's really not what he's talking about. 
I believe what he's speaking about is that this worthiness is that when we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, we cannot be harboring sin and say that Christ died for me, he died for you, but I'm angry at you. I, I'm, I got this issue and I'm not letting it go and I'm unforgiving toward you. I'm, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to reconcile with you. I'm, I'm going to hold this and you deserve punishment and I, I want revenge and I'm holding on to that or I, I have this argument going on I'm not letting go of that. Or you're practicing sin that you know to be sin and you're unrepentant. And he's saying if you come and you partake of these symbols that are representative of Christ dying for you. And, and I always think it's very, it, it, it's a celebration, but it's a serious celebration. It is to me anyway, and I hope it is to you. And, and sometimes uh, I hate what we're doing now, the little bitty cups that you can't get the lid off of. And, and it, it, it becomes, you know, it's sanitary. I understand it's sanitary, but it becomes more of a process than it is the partaking of the symbol that represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And, and I, I don't know what to do about it. Uh, when I was a kid, I went to a neighborhood church of Christ, and we all drank from the same cup. I don't want to do that again, either. <laughs> Not that I don't trust you, but <clears throat> I was always afraid of some of the kids spitting in the cup. <laughs> Isn't that funny? But, I, but what he's saying is that you need to come with a clean heart. I need to come with a clean heart. I need to say, Lord, there are issues in my life, and I've, I've been, I, I have sinned, and I'm sorry. I'm repentant. I, I'm going to make things right before I come. You know what Jesus said? If you come to the altar to offer your gift, and you remember you have something against your brother, or your brother has something against you, you go and make it right, and then you come and offer your gift. And when we come to the Lord's table, we should do that every, every day. We should be doing this every day. You opened your Bible, you've come to the Lord's table. You know that? You opened your Bible, you've come to the Lord's table. He's, it's His Word, He's speaking to you. You, you need to be responsive from your heart. And uh, uh, we, we need to be conscious of that. And the warning is, uh, did I go all the way to the warning? Verse 29, He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason... Many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. If you mock God, you're going to pay, even though you're saved. You're not going to lose your salvation, but there is a sin unto death even for a Christian. And, it's, and I, I believe that sin unto death is that we mock God. We, we, we say, I'm saved by the blood of Christ. I'll do whatever I please. I'm going to go to heaven. It's my free ticket. I'm going to live as I please. And God says to us, that's not honoring. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to humble you. <clears throat> I always pronounce the H. I'm going to, I'm going to humble you. <laughs> and he, he can and he does. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not saying that every sickness that you have is a judgment of God. I'm not saying that's a sin curse. We live under the sin curse. In West Texas, we live under the sinus sin curse. <clears throat> And, and so, you understand, I'm just, I'm not saying that. 
but he's saying there is some, and he's saying in your congregation that he's speaking to them in Corinth, some of you are sick and some of you have died simply because you're dishonoring the Lord. He saved you and you're dishonoring him and are not trusting in him. It's pretty serious. We partake of the Lord's Supper generally a couple times a year, and uh, it is uh, open to whoever has trusted Christ, whoever's there. And but when when we do come come before the Lord, and you, it, it need not be right before you partake of it. They say, "Lord, please forgive me for all my sins." Though you need you need to come to church with a clean heart every week, every day, every, every time you open your Bible, say, "Lord." Cleanse my heart. Speak to me. Open my understanding to my own shortcomings, my own sin. And let me hear your voice. Let me, let me fellowship with, with your Holy Spirit in, in this today. Okay, now I'm just preaching to you. All right, let's, uh, he, he gives the order of the Lord's Supper. Uh, again, for their instruction, for their, uh, all these things, were that, for their behavior. Um, and then Paul gives this warning. It gave the warning, and then he gives some general advice. We'll end the chapter with this, in verse 31. For we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we're judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. The Lord's saying, I want you to walk in the right path. So I'm going I'm to chasten you that you walk in the right path. We did that with our children. Uh, Hebrews said we didn't do it properly all the time, but God does it properly for us. He chastens us. Um, And then he said in verse 33, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Now, the rest is not the rest of the book, but it's the rest of the things concerning the Lord's Supper and their behavior toward each other. Well, I'm going to pray with you, and uh, we're going to go. Men, if you're in the men's choir, you need to be in the choir room at 1020. Pray with me, please. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we thank you that uh, one day we are going to reflect your glory to the whole world and to not only the world, but, Lord, uh, to every created being uh, in, the, in, in the heavenly realm. And we don't fully understand that, but we know you have purpose for us. Uh, even today, you have purpose for us, and you have purpose, Lord, um, for us eternally, and uh, how blessed we are to be a part of that. And Lord, uh, let us so live accordingly to the grace you've given to us in Christ, to his honor, and to our blessing. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, God bless you. Uh, we'll take up here, Lord willing, next Sunday.